Father, we come this morning again to praise you for your greatness and your glory, and for the reality that you choose to reveal yourself in this world primarily through a book, the Bible, your holy word, and then again primarily through that book being lived out in our lives, in the lives of your people as we live to show the world what God is like, empowered by your spirit and in, in spirit in, in various different ways to show the world how awesome and glorious Christ is. Not how wonderful we are, but how glorious Christ is. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us fresh this morning. I pray that you would refresh us by your word, instruct us, I pray that you'd protect us from error as we go through these three chapters over the next several weeks. And Father, be glorified in us as we learn to use the gifts of the Spirit in our lives in such a way that demonstrates the greatness of our God. And Father, we pray now, fill us with your Spirit and instruct us by your Word so that we can glorify you and know the joy of doing so. For we pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll pick up where we left off last time. Let me begin by saying this, that spiritual gifts, as we learned last week, are divine enablements that God bestows upon his people to equip them to minister his grace in unique and powerful ways for the glory of God, the glory of Christ, the good of his church, and the joy of his people. Now, let me say it again. Spiritual gifts are divine enablement, enablements that God bestows on his people to equip them to minister his grace in unique and powerful ways for the glory of Christ, for the good of the church, and for the believer's joy. Now, there are a lot of things to learn about the spiritual gifts, and we could spend an enormous amount of time on this, and we will spend significant time on it. We have several weeks ahead for us to think about these things uh, from these portions of Scripture. Last week, we began by laying the foundation. And I want to review that just a little bit this week, only because there are things that I was not able to say last week about those issues that I want to squeeze in today. But before I do that, let's stand together and read God's Word beginning with 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. And you can just follow along with me now as I read. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. And therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is anathema, accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are various gifts, but the same Spirit. There are very, uh, varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to the one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. 
and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. Now, by way of review and continued instruction, let's think about what we have learned so far in 1 Corinthians about the nature of spiritual gifts. We're talking about the nature of spiritual gifts, and later on today we'll talk about the purpose of spiritual gifts. But number one, spiritual gifts are not the test of spiritual men. Spiritual gifts are not the test of spiritual men. Now, this has been the concern of the Apostle Paul throughout the letter, and we looked at this starting in verse 1, verses 1 through 3 last week, and we won't run over that text again. But I do want to point out some other texts that demonstrate that this has been the Apostle Paul's concern ever since the beginning of this book. And so turn with me back to chapter 2, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, because we want to understand this particular passage of Scripture in light of its context, because we believe that context is king. That's right. You have to interpret a text according to its context. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, and let me read those for you, uh, beginning with verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And so here Paul makes the point of distinguishing be between the natural man and the spiritual man. Again, what I'm trying to indicate from 1 uh, Corinthians 12 is that the test of a spiritual man is not his spiritual gift. There is another way to determine whether a man is truly spiritual. And here in chapter 2, Paul is making a distinction between the man who is natural, the natural man, and the man who is spiritual. And this is the distinction. The natural man is unable to bring the word of God to bear on his own life and has no desire to do so. Has no desire to do so. And let's just stop right there. And let me say, this is, this is a very significant truth of Scripture, and I don't want to go back and preach 1 Corinthians chapter 2 all over again. But it's so important that we realize that the church, in America especially, with all of our comforts, with all of our prosperity, is filled with natural men, and people who claim to be Christian but have no intention of submitting to Christ's lordship or obeying his word. It's not that they can't understand the words that are written in the text or they can't understand the words that are being spoken from the pulpit and the explanation of the words that are written, but rather that the individual has no desire to submit to those words, has no desire to do what God commands. And this is a true indication of the heart, not whether a person has some spiritual gift. 
The test of spirituality is whether or not a person is willing to submit to the word of God that he knows. And Paul is saying the problem with you guys is uh, you claim to be spiritual, but the fact that you are unwilling to bring the word of God to bear on your own life, on your own problems, on your own difficulties is an indication that you are no spiritual man at all. You are natural men. And I would suggest even throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the things Paul is doing is questioning whether these people are even born again at all. But the spiritual man is one who understands who he is in the light of God's word and submits to what God's word says. Now, this text commonly is used to teach that if you have the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will instruct you about what the text means. And I would suggest to you that's not at all what he's saying. That is not the illumination of the, of the Spirit. The illumination of the Spirit is this, that the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and gives you the desire and the capacity to obey it. If it were an issue of the Holy Spirit giving every Christian the ability to understand it, then that would be wonderful. We would have no controversies. Everybody would understand the Scriptures explicitly and implicitly, and there would be no debate about it, what, a, what a text means. The Holy Spirit would just tell you. That's not at all how it happens, and that's not Paul's point. The point is that the spiritual man loves the Word of God, and he loves to bring it to bear upon his life. That's where the joy is. That's where true life is for the believer. Now turn with me to chapter 3. Again, Paul picks up this same vein. Starting with, with verse 1, he says this, And brethren, I could not speak to you as natural men, uh, as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, you are not now able to receive it. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking as mere men? For one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? You see what he's saying? This whole business about jealousy and division in the church, don't say that you're spiritual. Just quit saying that you're spiritually mature. Forget about that. If you're going to live having these divisions among you and acting out your jealous ambitions, and your pride, jealousy, strife. It's characteristic of all of their relationships in the church that Paul is trying to address here. And it was upon this evidence that Paul concludes with the question, are you not walking like mere men? Which is to say, is there any evidence in your life, you who claim to be spiritual, that you even know Christ? And then flip to chapter 14, and I'm making a huge leap here because we have little time this morning. In verse 37, this is great. He says, uh, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, same word, same Greek word, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, then he is not recognized. What's he mean? He means this. Whoever does not willingly obey the word of God will not be recognized as spiritual. It doesn't matter. You can come to church every Sunday. You can give large amounts of money to the um, whatever fund, the general fund or the building fund or whatever you want to give money to. You can have some 
leadership position in the church, that is no test of your spirituality. The question is, do you have a verifiable history of submission to the Word of God, joyful submission to the Word of God? If not, then your spirituality is in question no no matter what gift you claim to have from the Spirit. One of the problems in the church was this very thing. Some people were putting themselves forward as the really spiritual ones in the church, the ones that everybody else should follow because they had um, some kind of wisdom that Paul dealt with here in the first couple of chapters, wisdom which really turned out to be nothing more than the philosophies of men. Because they apparently were endowed with certain spiritual gifts that attracted attention, they deemed themselves to be extra spiritual. The reality was, however, that spiritual gifts are never necessarily the test of spiritual men. Now, if you have a spiritual gift that puts you uh, in front of people and you are spiritual, then that's wonderful. But Paul is giving us a warning here that it's possible that you can have a spiritual gift that puts you in front of people and makes people say, wow, he's gifted. And in reality, behind the scenes where nobody else sees but you and the Lord, you're a wretch and you're causing division in the church and you're dividing up saying, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and I am of Cephas and I am of Christ. And you're You're engaging in lawsuits against each other, chapter 6. You're engaging in all kinds of immorality, and you're proud of it, chapter 5. You know, all of these things that were happening in the church with people who claim to be spiritual. Every believer has a spiritual gift, but that doesn't necessarily make you spiritual. Spiritual gifts are not the test of spiritual men. So that's number one. Number two, spiritual gifts are manifestations of God's grace. That's all they are. They are different kinds of manifestations of God's grace. The word charismata, from which we get charismatic, is translated in this text, gifts. But it comes from the Greek word charis, which means grace, which I I think I said last week is the root of my wife's name, Chris, is from the Greek charis, which means grace. And the gifts of God come to us, listen, they come to us by grace. They come to us by grace in the sense that they're not earned, they're not achieved. You don't have to go to a class to learn them. They come by grace. The sinner simply gets his gift at the same moment he receives the Holy Spirit, which happens at the same time he's born again. When you come to Christ, you get the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit, you get a particular, peculiar to you, gifting of the Holy Spirit that enables you to minister to the body of Christ in a way that other people can't. But not only do these gifts come by grace, they are also intended intended to be conduits or channels of grace. Grace to other people. So we might say the gifts are both by grace and for grace. The reason that God has gifted you is so that you can pour out your grace upon one another. You are not a cul-de-sac. You are not a holding tank of grace. God's not pouring, pouring grace into you like into a cup. He's pouring grace, various kinds of grace, into you like uh, a pipe, like plumbing. And it's intended to go to very specific places. It's not to stop with you. 
It's to go on and meet the needs of other people. So spiritual gifts are manifestations of God's grace, number two. Number three, every believer has one. If you're a child of God, then you have a spiritual gift, even if you don't know what it is. If you're a child of God, then you have been graced with a spiritually effective means of dispensing grace to others. It may be the grace of, and and, and I'm getting this list from chapter 12, um, beginning with, what, verse 8. It may very well be the grace of wisdom or of knowledge. It may be the grace of faith or discernment or helping or administration or service or teaching or encouragement or giving or leadership or mercy. You may even be gifted as an evangelist or pastor teacher. And that's kind of a, a combined list that I get from not only 1 Corinthians, but Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter. But Paul didn't mean for this list of gifts to be exhausted. He didn't mean for us to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through um, 10, to be an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. So why would he send to the Corinthians a list of spiritual gifts that's incomplete? Thought about that? And why would he send to the Romans a different list of spiritual gifts, which is not the same list as the one he sent to the Corinthians? Thought about that? And what about the list in uh, Ephesians chapter 4? Very, very different than both of the other lists. Send it to a different church. So if you're in Ephesus, what is your view of the spiritual gifts? You got a list? If you're in Corinth, what's your view of the gifts? You got a different list. If you're in Rome, you got a list that's slightly different than those in Corinth and quite different from those in the church of Ephesus, the region of Ephesus. What can we conclude? I'll tell you what I conclude. These are not exhaustive lists. They are representative lists. They are lists of gifts that were important for this particular church or that particular church to be aware of. These were the issues of contention in in 1 Corinthians. Paul had an entirely different point in mind when he's talking about how God gifts the church in Ephesians chapter 4. He's talking about equipping the body for works of service there. And so he's given, God has given to the church as gifts, as grace, as charismatas, um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. All of these things are gifts of God to the church through people. Because he had a very particular point that he was addressing. What it tells me is that there are more gifts of God. There are more ways that the Spirit gifts his people to accomplish his work than what we have in any list. Or can I suggest all of the lists combined? Now think of this. Prayer's not here. Hospitality's not here. You say, are, are those gifts? Well, they're not in the list, so I can't say it definitively. But I think the whole point is none of the lists are definitive, so it's open. I think the Holy Spirit empowers us in ways that don't show up in the list but are just as powerful. Someone who is motivated and energized and loves to pray, and we know people like this, right? They just, they're so devoted to prayer, you think, man, I want to be like that. And it seems like no matter what I do, I pray and I love to pray, but not like that. 
that guy has got to have something gloriously different than me. You see someone, let's say you're a person who really just loves the truth and you love to communicate the truth and you're not afraid to bring it to bear on someone's life when they need it. You're not afraid to hammer them. And yet you look at someone who is merciful to other people and you say, man, I wish I could be merciful like that person. And the person who's, who's got the gift of mercy is saying, man, I wish I could teach like that or I wish I could bring the word of God to bear on someone who's got the gift of prophecy, the ability to proclaim God's truth. All I'm saying is there are a lot of different ways, I think, that the Holy Spirit empowers us and gifts us that aren't necessarily in the lists. I don't think we get bogged down on the list. I don't think we ask the question. I don't think it's the appropriate question is, I don't think the appropriate question is, are there 12 gifts? Are there 14 gifts? I think that's irrelevant. If there were a specified number of gifts, then why wouldn't Paul have given it all to the Corinthians? Why wouldn't he have given it all to the Romans? Why wouldn't he have given them all to the Ephesians or Peter? I think the point is not, what is your specific spiritual gift and how do I find it? The question is, how are you dispensing grace upon God's people for his glory and for your own joy? How are you dispensing grace the grace that you receive, is it the grace of wisdom? Then be available. Counsel people, serve people. Knowledge, you should be teaching. Faith, discernment, helping, administration, service, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, evangelist, pastor, teacher. The point is not necessarily that you identify where you are in the list. The point is, you should be active in dispensing God's grace any and every way you possibly can. And as you do, you're going to find out that God has equipped you to do this kind of grace dispensing better than that one. But you're never going to be able to say, I know exactly what my gift is. Because it's a mix. Who knows how God is, has put it all together. And, and let me... Let me just bring to witness the fact that in no place does Paul even define the gifts. How many of you are taking a gift, a spiritual gift analysis test, right? Come on, don't be bashful. You can raise your hand. That's fine. Here's the problem with them. Here's one of the problems with them. Um, we don't have any place in Scripture that defines the gifts. Paul doesn't go out of his way to define the gifts. We just, we have to, you know, if we're going to identify them and define them, then we just got to, we got to guess. I mean, some of them are pretty clear. But he doesn't tell us exactly what each gift is. Again, all I'm saying is, I don't think the spiritual gifts, I don't think you're necessarily going to find yourself and be able to peg yourself in one of these lists. And I don't think that's what Paul intends. I think what Paul intends is for us to realize that God gave us these gifts to dispense grace to his people. And in a couple of cases with the spiritual gifts, to dispense saving grace through the gospel to the lost. And so every believer has a spiritual gift, and yours is different than everybody else's, though it will be dominated perhaps by one chief characteristic, whether it be teaching or mercy or whatever it is. Now, number four, every spiritual gift is unique. And I've already made reference to this, but just by way of review, it seems that God 
chooses to mix all kinds of different elements and characteristics and spiritual qualities together in each one of us so that our gifting is different than the kind of gifts given to everyone else in the body. And clearly there are similarities between people with like gifting, but the manifestation of those gifts are as unique as the individuals who possess them. And so as I said last week, I may have the gift of teaching, preaching, and Brent may have the gift of teaching, preaching, prophecy, um, if you define prophecy in that way. Again, Paul doesn't give us a definition. However, the way he dispenses that grace through his gift and the way I do, even though they're very similar, are also going to be different in a variety of different ways. Think of it like this. Most of you ladies who are married have a diamond ring on your finger. And there's little, little cuts in that diamond that are there intentionally. And they're called, anybody know what they're called? Facets. That's right. We have a jewelry lady here. Facets. And uh, it's interesting. When P- Peter speaks about grace, he speaks about the manifold grace of God. Manifold meaning multifaceted. Every single cut. Think of, think of the body of Christ as a diamond. This is not a biblical illustration, but I think it works. Um, think of the body of Christ like a diamond. And God, by his Holy Spirit, has very carefully cut it and shaped it and put many, many facets of it. And each one of us in the body is a facet. We are there, as it were, to reflect the glory of God's grace, but we each do it differently. And it's the combination of all of those facets reflecting light in their various ways that makes us want to buy diamonds. They're they're just an extraordinary gem. And that's what it's like in the body of Christ as well. Everybody has a spiritual gift, and everybody's gift is unique. And so what have we learned? Number one, spiritual gifts are not necessarily the test of spiritual men. And by the way, that gets really important when you start, you know, if you flip channels on the TV and come to TBN or or one of those wacky Christian television stations and you see these crazy guys who are claiming all kinds of miracles and abilities and they're wanting your money, uh, this, this becomes really relevant when you're dealing with those kinds of guys, because what they'll say is, look at me, I have a spiritual gift. Watch this, I can do this. I've raised people from the dead. I've healed people. When I touch people, they fall down backwards. And Paul's saying, that is no test of your heart. That is no test of your heart. You may be a phony. In fact, in the end, Jesus said, on that final day, many will come to me, and I will say to them, Depart from me, you cursed ones, into everlasting fire. I never knew you. And they will say, but Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And he'll say, never knew you. Never knew you. And so spiritual gifts are not the test of spiritual men. Spiritual gifts are manifestations of God's grace. That's what they are. Every genuine believer has a spiritual gift, and every spiritual gift is unique. And so that's the nature of of spiritual gifts, and there's more, much more that we could say about that, but let's allow that to be kind of the foundation of our discussion of spiritual gifts. Now, secondly, the purpose of spiritual gifts. I would submit to you that the Corinthian believers were divided over the issue of spiritual gifts, not because they didn't understand the nature of the gifts, but because they didn't understand the purpose of those gifts. What was God's purpose? 
Now, don't misunderstand. I don't think they understood all the theology of it. I don't. Um, and Paul didn't intend, as I said in the first message in, in the series, Paul did not intend to make this a systematic theology. He didn't intend to answer all of our questions. He's dealing with division in the church. Spiritual gifts is the point of division at this point in the letter. And so he's coming at the spiritual gifts from that perspective. And so he's not going to answer all of the other miscellaneous questions, including things like giving us definitions of the gifts. That's not his purpose here. He's dealing with the divisions. And the reason I would submit to you that there were divisions is because the people didn't understand what the purpose of the gifts were. They didn't comprehend what they were for. Evidently, they thought that God gave them in order to identify who was spiritual and who wasn't. They thought they were indicators of who were the class A Christians and who were the class B and C and D Christian. I mean, if you could speak in tongues or do miracles, then you were an A Christian. If uh, you were gifted in something common like service or hospitality, which isn't listed as one of the spiritual gifts, but if you were gifted that way, well, then maybe you were a C or D Christian. But you weren't an A Christian. You weren't on the A team. Um, they didn't understand the purpose of the gifts. Now, let me give you a kind of a silly illustration that might help you understand what I'm saying. Let's say um, for Christmas no matter what your age, uh, somebody gave you a pogo stick, okay? And you got a pogo stick for Christmas. Now, how many of you have used a pogo stick in your lifetime? Good, well, most of you, so um, this may not work. But um, somebody gives you a pogo stick and you pull it out of the wrapper and you have no idea what it is. What are you gonna do with it? If I gave one to my kids, and I don't think my kids have ever used one, but I think I know what they would do it if they opened one. They would first go, what is it? And I'd say, figure it out. And if I, you know, gave them more than one to my boys, they'd figure out how to make a weapon out of it. You know, they're going to sword fight or it's some kind of thing that you can cock and shoot. You know, where are the accessories you can put on the end of this? Looks like a grenade launcher. I don't know what it is, but they're going to turn it into a war machine, I guarantee. Um, that's not what it's for. It's not what it's for. And they're going to go out there and fight with it in the front yard. They're going to do sword fight or whatever. And somebody's going to get hurt and something's going to get broken. Uh, in fact, if they use it properly, <laughs> they're probably going to get something broken. Um, nevertheless, they, they'll never know the joy of bouncing up and down. I, I don't know why that's a joyful thing, but it, it, people buy it, so it must be. <laughs> they're never going to know the joy of bouncing up and down on a pogo stick until somebody says, let me tell you what that thing is for. I would submit to you that the Corinthians had no idea what the gifts were for. They had no idea what the gifts were for, so they made up their own reason for having spiritual gifts. They thought that they were given to, for, as a means of God identifying who were the spiritual people, who were the elite, and who were the second class, third class, fourth class, whatever. Hence, all the divisions and the problems in the church but that's not why God gave the gifts. To the contrary, God gives each member of the body a unique gift, not to divide the church, but to equip her to function as a powerful representation of the person of Jesus Christ in the world. Now, let me say it the way we like to say it around here. God gave the gifts so that the church collectively could show the world what God is like. 
That's the way it is. I mean, any person ought to be able to walk in off the street and look around here and say, this is a really diverse group. We've got a lot of white folks here, but we've got Asian, we've got African American, we've got Hispanic, we've got Jewish. I got to see this. And they start seeing these people loving each other, enjoying one another's company, serving people of different backgrounds in various leadership roles in the church, getting along, working together, serving, loving, blessing, and being blessed. And what can you construe from that? God must have done this. Because we can't contrive it no matter what we do politically or socially. Only God can do this. And the point is, God wants to show the world what Jesus is like. And now that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God in heaven, the only physical manifestation of Christ on earth is the church. That's why we are called his body. The gifts of the Spirit are not given to us randomly. They are Christ's characteristics reproduced by the Holy Spirit in the church. And that means the only way the church will ever be accurately, an accurate representation of Jesus Christ in the world is if all of the members of the body employ their unique gifts to serve one another as members of his body. That's why Paul says things like this. He's so adamant about this. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, Timothy. And I think the application is for all of us. Don't you understand God has gifted you to dispense grace in a very unique way? Get about the business of doing that. And the second one, this is also Timothy, but the second letter, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, he says this. I love this phrase. Kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. The reason I love that is because kindle afresh literally means to build a fire under. Now, how many of you moms have said that to your children? You know, <laughs> Dad's going to come home and put a fire under you, boy. Get out there and mow the lawn or clean the backyard or whatever it is. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. Build a fire. Fan the flame. Heat it up. Let's get going. You've become dormant. You've become lazy. You've become chilled. It's time for you to kindle afresh. Build a fire under your soul. Start exercising your spiritual gift. You're getting fat. You're getting lazy. You're getting comfortable. And when you do that, you look just like the world. And frankly, that's what I hope these messages will do for you and for me. My goal is to build a fire under all of us regarding the use of your spiritual gifts you say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Okay, let me see if I can help us with this. If the gifts are intended to be simply a manifestation of God's grace empowered by the Spirit to exalt Christ for the good of the body and for your own joy, if that's what we know about the spiritual gifts, then this is all you need to know about the spiritual gifts is that God wants you to be about the business of dispensing grace on other people. Now, when do you do that? How do you do that? Teach me. Okay. You're looking through your email. The prayer requests come along. What do you do? I'll tell you what I think most people do. This is just, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But this is what I think happens. 
I think a lot of people, a lot of us, a lot of us in this room, and uh, probably more people in the first service do this than you all, but, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay, don't tell them I said that. <laughs> um, I think what happens is, is the prayer requests come up and we go, oh, okay, oh, that's interesting to know. Oh, I'm so sorry, that person. And then we go to the next email. Now we know something, but we haven't done anything with it. We know there's a need, we haven't done anything about it. A person who understands spiritual gifts will say this. Oh, there's a need. I don't have any money. Got it. That's, a, that's an indicator that God hasn't given you the gift of giving. You've got to have, you know, got something to give. So I don't have any money. How can I dispense grace upon this person? Maybe write them a note. Take a note card. You want to really bless them? Do something that almost never gets done anymore. Take a pen. You know what a pen is? <laughs> and take a note card and write them a note. Hey, I saw your prayer requests. But you know I'm praying for you. If there's anything I can do, I'll call you, or you call me. In fact, I'm, I'll call you in the next 24 hours to see if there's any other needs that I can be praying about or meet. Love you. Have a great day. Here's my phone number. I mean, how many of you recently have received a note of encouragement in the mail like that? Is that powerful or what? I mean, anybody can sit down and go, oh yeah, email, boink, gone. No effort, and things are spelled wrong, <laughs> and you're not even thinking about communicating grace. You're just thinking, I'm going to look bad if I don't respond to this, so I'm going to respond, rather than taking the time to really be proactive at ministering grace to someone. Or maybe God has gifted you with the ability to give. Then give with a cheerful heart. Give it abundantly as unto the Lord. Or maybe God has gifted you with wisdom and you know that person's situation and you know there's some scripture that really needs to be brought to bear and so you move in very carefully and you ask questions and you bring that text to bear that's ministering God's grace. Or maybe, maybe the person is in sin and everybody's afraid to say anything about it. And you're thinking, I can't give. And I don't know what scriptures to bring to bear or anything like that, but I know, I know that nobody's speaking into this person's life. God, give me the grace to give them the grace of correction. And that's the way it should work. And there are 10,000 ways that we can do that. Um, I know uh, one brother, there's one couple in this church body today. Do I see them here? Yes, I do. Um, who uh, the wife was driving down the road, had a flat tire. They'd never been to, to Calvary Bible Church before. But somebody from Calvary Bible Church was driving down the road, and they saw this lady beside the road with a flat tire. And so they pulled over. And I don't know what was going through this brother's mind, but he was no doubt thinking, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do something to help, which is just another way of saying, how can I minister grace to this person? Pulled over, tried to fix the tire. Things didn't work out because there was a lug wrench issue. But he stayed there, kept her safe until her husband could come and deal with the situation. And the reason they're at Calvary Bible Church today is because someone else saw a need and said, I don't know who that person is, but there's an obvious need, and God has gifted me to dispense grace. Here we go. Have no idea what's going to result in this. Don't care. Just want to be pleasing to the Lord. Let's see what happens. That's the way it works. It's the way it works. And it's a beautiful thing when it's working. 
when we are being proactive. Witness with me also Paul's words in Ephesians 4 when he writes, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Beloved, the purpose of the spiritual gifts is to show the world what God is like. And the way we do that, the way we magnify Christ, as Paul says here, is by every joint, again, body illustration, right? Every part of the body, including the joints. Here's a little finger, little finger joint. If my finger joint stops working, I'm in trouble. My body's not going to be able to function right, especially if it's on my right hand. And what Paul is saying is, listen, when you stop working, when you stop ministering grace to other people in various ways, and especially in the area that you know you can do it best, you can do it better than a lot of other people, and you love to do it, and when you stop doing it or never start, you hinder the body. It's like having a finger with a frozen joint. It can't do what it was created to do. And so everyone is needed. If we're going to glorify Christ in this world through the church, the gifts were intended to equip the church to show the world what Christ is like. Second, secondly, the spiritual gifts were also given for the health of the church. Notice with me, starting with verse 4, all three members of the Trinity are involved in this. This is, this is so important to God that every person of the Trinity is involved in this. So, verse 4, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, what person of the Trinity is that? Third person, right? It's the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. Let's keep going. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. What person of the Trinity is that? Second person of the Trinity, who is? Christ. It's Jesus, right? Good, I'm trying to help you here. Okay, the variety, the, there are a variety of effects, but the same God. Who is that a reference to? First person of the Trinity, God the Father. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three are active and concerned about our mutual use of the spiritual gifts. What I want us to see here, however, is that it's the Holy Spirit who intends uh, he tends us to benefit from the use of the administration of these gifts, but not just for our own good, but for the church's good. Now, this service is a little longer than the other service, so let me throw in something I didn't have time to do this morning. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to start reading verse 1, and you can just catch up. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, what you don't know, I presume, 
because you're reading this in English and you're making what would be appropriate assumptions in English but are not true in the Greek is this, that the pronouns here are all plural. And what that tells us is he's not speaking to individuals. He's speaking to the church. And particularly, he is speaking to the various divisions in the church that are ethnic. We know that because here at the end of Romans, Paul is is going into great detail about how the The Jews and the Christian Gentiles are now one body in Christ. And he's saying, listen, you two bodies are now one body. You, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, all of you, individually and as separate ethnic groups, present your body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your, plural, spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, collectively, plural, mind, so that you, collectively, plural, church, may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now watch this. For through the grace given to me, I say among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think so is to have sound judgment, just as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members, look, we, the church, have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since therefore we have Gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. What is that? It's the spiritual gifts. And it's all about the body of Christ made up of different ethnic groups, Jews primarily and Gentiles and all of the ethnicities that are a part of Gentiles. Here's my point. When we look at this scripture, Romans 12, we personalize it. We're so American. We make everything out to be about me. It's all about me, me, and Jesus. It's not what Paul has in mind here at all. It's you as a church body. You seeing yourself as a church body. Don't be a worldly church. Don't do church like the world. And the only way that's going to happen is if individually, every member of the body is exercising his spiritual gift or functioning the way your part of the body was intended to function. Notice 
what Paul says. We're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He makes it very explicit here. Verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the, what? Common good. The common good. Common good here, I, I studied, this is actually one word in the Greek. It's the same word used back in chapter 6, verse 12, where Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. And that begs the question, profitable for who? Again, he's not talking about profitable for the individual. He's talking about profitable for the church. All of us. For the health and unity of the body. And so you see, beloved, spiritual gifts were not given simply to satisfy the needs and desires of the individual. The heart of the body doesn't exist for itself. It exists to keep all the other parts of the body flowing with the blood that they need. The pancreas does not exist for itself. It it exists to deliver insulin to the rest of the body so that it can do what what it needs to do without malfunctioning. The liver doesn't exist for itself. It exists to purify the blood so that the other parts of the body remain healthy. The small intestine does not exist for itself. It was created to draw nutrients out of the food we eat in order to energize all the other parts of the body. And so you see, the purpose of your spiritual gift is for the common good. It is not just for you to sit back and enjoy. This is going to become really relevant when we get into talking about um, Paul's, I think, rebuke to the people about using, transforming the gift of tongues into a prayer language. And we'll see that as we get there. Paul understood that the spiritual gifts were not for self-gratification. They were for mutual edification. They were not to be focused inward, but outward towards others. My spiritual gifts were specifically designed to build you up and all the members of the body so that they can fulfill their purpose even as I fill my own in bringing health and well-being to the church body. This is why Paul so often reminded the Corinthians that they should each be concerned about edifying. Think edify, edifice, edifice. Edifying means to build up, like building a building. Every member should be concerned about edifying the body. Let me show you this in the text. Go back to chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, which is another point of division in the church at the time, we know that we all have knowledge, but here's what we need to know. Knowledge makes arrogant. This is another thing. Just because you have knowledge doesn't make you spiritual. Anybody can have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love, what? Edifies. Love builds up. If your knowledge is intended to build up, then it's a wonderful thing. And by the way, that's what the Apostle Paul's focus was. He said the purpose of our instruction is love from a pure heart. And then look at chapter 10, verse 23. Just across the page there. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but not all things, what? Edify. You see a pattern here? 
Paul is really concerned that we are not just doing things to gratify ourselves, but we're doing things with the mindset of how can I build others up? How can I administer grace to everyone else in the body? Look at chapter 14, verses 4 and 5. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now, let me just stop there and say, I don't think he's condoning that. I think he's rebuking that. It's rebuking it. You're edifying yourself. You're using this gift in an inappropriate way. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. The church, the gift of tongues... If it's used appropriately, Paul says, you can build up the body, but it's got to be done for that purpose. It wasn't intended for you to sit, you know, in the corner somewhere, gazing at your navel, you know, saying things that even you don't understand. It's intended to edify the body. Look at 14, verses 16 and 17. Again, speaking of the misuse of tongues. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, that is, if you bless in a babbling tongue, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted, or some translations say the unbeliever, how will they say amen at your giving of thanks since they don't know what you're saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not, what? Edified. The other person isn't built up. You misunderstand the purpose of the gifts. The purpose of the gifts is not for you individually. It's for you to minister to other people. You are a conduit of God's grace. God has been gracious to you, and now he's equipped you to channel that grace in very specific ways to other people. And then look at verse uh, verse 26 of chapter 14. He says, what is the outcome then, brethren, when you all assemble, each has a psalm, each has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for what? Edification. All of it, no matter what the gift. No matter what the gift, all of it should be exercised for, as he says in chapter 12, the common good. And so you see spiritual gifts. Each spiritual gift is given to each individual for the common good of the whole church. We exist for Christ. We exist for one another. That's why the two primary commandments in the Bible are love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It all goes back to that. We do not live for ourselves, but for the Lord and for his people. And most of the spiritual gifts are God-ordained means by which we minister to one another as fellow members of the church. Now, I say most because there are a couple of gifts, at least, that are designed to reach the lost. And we'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. Now, Paul is saying here, it's not that we desire, not what we desire that counts. It's what the Holy Spirit desires that matters. He's the one at the center of the church orchestrating who gets what gift for the good of the church. It's not supposed to cause division. It's supposed to bring about unity and upbuilding because it's all coming from the same person, the Holy Spirit, 
So look with me, starting in verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another the, uh, by the, faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Paul's point, I think, here is that, listen, one spirit has one objective. There is no division in the Holy Spirit. He has one cause for his spiritual gift. He is the sole dispenser and empowerer of the spiritual gifts, and he has one main objective, and that is to exalt Christ in the world by the unity and mutual edification of the church. And so don't divide over these things. Quit saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. What is that? That's not from the Spirit. Everyone who has a gift gets it from him, and he has a very singular purpose. But when all is working well, when we are each using our gifts for the good of other members of the body of Christ, then Christ is set on display as excellent and glorious in the church and in the world in which we live. And so the purpose of the gifts are to show forth the glory of Christ in the world and to minister to the grace, minister the grace of spiritual health to the body. Now third, and briefly, I believe gifts, the spiritual gifts are also given as for the purpose of our own joy. Now, some of you are going to say, no, I just thought you said they weren't given for us. That's exactly what I said. They weren't given to you primarily so that you could just enjoy your gifting. That's true. And if you pursue joy in that manner, you will sabotage it. But if you pursue the well-being of the church and the salvation of the lost and glorifying God through it, the fruit of that, the overflow of that, will indeed be glorious joy. When you read the book of Acts, you discover that the church was an exciting community to be a part of. Believers were all filled with the Spirit, exercising their spiritual gifts. They, they, had, they didn't even know what they were. They were just busy doing the work of God. And they were preaching the gospel. They were ministering to one another's needs. People were selling things to meet one another's needs when they had to. They were, there were unbelievers who were born again, and daily they were added to the church. Believers had unity, the unity of humble love that was manifest everywhere. The world was shaken, and people couldn't believe what was happening in Jerusalem. Beloved, you just need to believe that the safest and happiest place in all the world is right in the center of the will of God. And the will of God for you, and if you were in Sunday school a few weeks ago, making a distinction between the will of precept and the will of purpose, you know what God's will of precept is? You know what God's command is for you? That you exercise your gift. That's God's will. That you kindle afresh. You put a fire under that gifting of yours. And if you don't know what it is, then you just put a fire under your desire to, to dispense grace to other people and do whatever, do whatever comes to mind. 
Just do whatever comes to mind or whatever you're asked to do. And you're going to discover that God has uniquely gifted you. And frankly, beloved, this is the reason that I entered ministry in the first place. It's just such a joyful thing. It's a glorious thing to see God work in people's lives, changing them, transforming them through the sufficiency of his word, by the power of his spirit, seeing the miracles of God's grace, the people who had given their lives to every self-destructive pleasure and now have been transformed, their marriage is restored, their leaders in the church, living consistently, being examples to others. I mean, there, there's, there's no explanation for that except that God has done something wonderful. And he did it through the ministry of the body. Individuals who were employing their gifts to dispense grace upon those who had need. I can't help but believe, but believe that this was what part of what Jesus was thinking of when he wrote John 15, 10 through 12. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, what? Full. Now, let's ask the text, kind of going backwards here. If I want my joy to be full as a believer, what is Jesus here telling me to do? Answer, keep my commandments. But if we're not careful, we could, we could stop reading at this point because the very next verse says this. This is my commandment. Any question about what Jesus is talking about? He's about to answer it. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. To love is to give. To love is to give. It's giving whatever it is that I have that you need because God wants me to. And here's how we know that. God so loved the world that he gave his son his only one. That's how we know what love is. And that's what God wants us to do in the exercise of our spiritual gift. What does love demand? How does love demand that you dispense grace to the person on the other end of the phone or the email or sitting in the same seat with you this morning or out on the parking lot? or at Awana's tonight, or wherever. That's what I love to see here happen at Calvary Bible Church. I see this all the time. And this church, frankly, is pretty good at this. I get this from visitors a lot, especially if they come and they have a need. Um, it's almost an avalanche of people trying to meet that need. It's overwhelming, and it should be. And if you happen to come to this church body and you as a woman are um, expecting, have a baby, oh, may the Lord give you grace to endure all the blessing because <laughs> it is going to descend upon you because God has put such a love in his people to love those whom he loves. Believe me, beloved, if if you become proactive in using the gifts that God has given you, nothing will bring you more personal satisfaction in this life than using your gift to its fullest. 
And so let's close with where, where we began from. Spiritual gifts are these. They're divine enablements bestowed upon God's people to equip them to minister his grace in unique and powerful ways for the glory of Christ, for the good of the church, and for the believer's joy. For the believer's joy. The most joyful people I know in the church are the people who are active, sharing, ministering according to their gifts. Once in a while, someone will ask my wife, how in the world can you possibly do all the things that you do? And she answers everybody the same. She said, I primarily function according to my giftedness. And primarily her gift is administration, mixed with some discernment and wisdom and all kinds of other things. But she thrives on details. I die under details. And that's why God put us together. And that's why God put you here. There are people who need the grace that God intends to give through you. Let's be faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth and for how you use it to strengthen us and communicate your grace to us. And now, Father, that we have received the word of truth that has communicated the grace of truth by the Holy Spirit through this book and equipped us to do the work of the ministry, now, Father, I pray that you would also give us everything we need to be effective at using the gifts that you have given us and even being willing to minister outside of our giftedness for your glory and for our own temporal and eternal joy. For we pray it by the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.